Hi, my name's Hudson, and I'm a geoholic. Oh my god, have I told you guys how much I like music? It's a little mellow vibe. God, I miss live music. Holy cow. Welcome back, everyone, and thanks so much for listening to another value-adding installment of the Geoholics Anonymous. That opening song is by our newest pod artist, Cam Cole. He's been called the best one-man band in the world. The name of that song is New Age Blues from his 2019 album titled I See. Be sure to check him out on all your music platforms. He's freaking amazing. I mean, unbelievably, unbelievable how talented this guy is. As you know, this is our roundtable formatted discussion on topics impacting the geomatics world today. So guess what? We've got another great group of panelists that we're going to get to in just a couple minutes. I do want to mention a couple things. First, we had two very generous donations to the Geoholics GoFundMe account this week. Corey Allred from Parkland Community College and the one and only Will Wing with Infinity Land Surveying. Thank you guys so much. Can't tell you how much we appreciate the support. By the way, if you're uh, not connected with Will Wing on LinkedIn, you might want to do so. He posts some really cool, you know, surveying pics from his adventures on on a daily basis, basically. Just some really cool stuff. And second, if you haven't seen it already, we have started adding a video component to the podcast and would love for each and every one of you to take literally 30 seconds and subscribe to the Geoholics YouTube channel. It's my understanding from producer Jake that we need 100 subscribers in order to get a dedicated URL. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, once we get 100 subscribers, we'll go ahead and iron down youtube.com slash the Geoholics. Fantastic. This train's a rolling, boys. (laughs) My name is Kent, and I am not ashamed to admit that I am definitely a Geoholic. Of course, I have two of my best friends in the whole world with me, they being Big Shoots and producer Jake. Producer Jake, how have you been, buddy? Doing pretty good. I'm just doing my normal here, uh, sailing on the weekends, producing podcasts on weekdays, (laughs) um, and working in between there sometimes. So doing really good and just moving through life here. Making it happen. Doesn't sound like a bad gig. Not at all. Are you kidding me? No, not at all. So I got to throw this out at you guys. I saw something online, and I received some phone calls. I'm not going to make light of, of somebody dying. But locally here in Arizona, in Scottsdale, <laughs> El Dorado Aquatic Park, where they have water slides and oh stuff. Oh, my God. I saw this. There was a dude that got, like, stuck in there and yeah. died. And what was his name? What was it? Ryan Kelly. Was it really? Yes. I did not know I got that. phone calls from people saying, oh, it's good to hear your voice. I thought you died or something oh like God. that. And you know who I didn't hear from? Either one of you two. You know, I, you know what? I read, like, the first five sentences of that story. I didn't see the person's name, obviously. Uh-huh. And I'm just like, who? What the fuck? I got a call from Indiana today, and she was just like, just making sure you're alive. I was like, I appreciate it. Glad to hear you care. I didn't hear from either of you guys, though. So maybe a little bone to pick there. We we knew you were okay. uh, Well, it was a 31-year-old transient, so I was 0 for 2 on those. It could have been you. (laughs) I'm a little older, and I have a home (laughs) for now, at least. (laughs) So other than that, I got to tell you guys, this morning, because the lovely Carrie, as you said, Say, yep. was out for a walk and humble brag doing the old dad thing getting Hudson up for school and breakfast and all this she comes tearing in the house 
And she just looks at me. She's like, I got stung by a bee. Oh, Jesus. Like, out of nowhere. And then she's like, it dove bomb, di- dive bombed out of the tree. <laughs> and it literally got her right on the tip of her nose. <laughs> oh so she God. was walking around today with this big honking thing on her nose. Like, I don't know why it came after me. I didn't do, I didn't do anything to him. <laughs> so that was my excitement today. But what, what's new uh, so with you, Ken? Oh, man, lots of things new with me. I started a new gig this week, which I'm totally stoked about. Uh, connect with me on LinkedIn to find out more. Other than that, honestly, I'm just waiting for the daytime temps here in Arizona to drop below 115 degrees. It's freaking brutal here. <laughs> it's, it's not going fast enough. <laughs> no, man, it's got to break sometime. All right, with that, uh, quick safety share. Um, Speaking of LinkedIn, I see that a bunch of folks, like I say, including myself, are changing jobs right now. So just something I want to make note of. You know, as you get this fresh start, remember, it's important that you engage yourself with your new company. If you aren't engaged with the company outside of meetings and normal job duties, that's a problem. It's important that, you know, you feel invested in the company volunteering for projects, lending a hand outside of their normal duties, joining a committee or team, or participating in company-sponsored programs can immerse you into the company's culture. It is proven that employees that have a vested interest in the company will do a better job of maintaining safety standards than someone who just simply shows up to work each and every day. So, I just, is, I just hear add value, make friends. That's is that what you were going to say? Be engaged. <laughs> be engaged with your uh, with your company, whoever you're working for. All right, let's get started with uh, this panel of esteemed guests that we have with us this evening. But before we do, I want to give each of them an opportunity to introduce themselves. So, what we're going to do this week, we're going to go with your name, you know, your current role, or who you work for, what you're doing. And we always try to keep a light with something. If you, um, let's do this. What, personali- what personality trait do you possess that you are most proud of? So name, what you do, and personality trait you're most proud of. And we're going to start with Joe. <laughs> yeah, you'd put me in the spot. Um, <laughs> my name is Joe Piva, um, and I am CEO of GeoLearn. GeoLearn is an online education company. And shameless plug, it's geo-learn.com if you want to check out what we have to offer. (laughs) Continuing education for licensed land surveyors, and in a few months, we'll start offering technician training as well. Um, We're located in Kansas City, but obviously we're on the World Wide Web, so you can access uh, us from anywhere. But the second thing I want to mention is that I am also an adjunct at the State Technical College of Missouri where I do online education. Uh, I also uh, have done and currently support online education at the Missouri University of Science and Technology as well as uh, Kansas City, Kansas Community College. And get into the details of how I managed to do all that because you can imagine it could be very busy, but it's not. And as far as personality traits, uh, the one I like to tell people, which I used to tell my kids, is that I pay attention when people say things. It used to be when I was younger, I'd correct them all the time because I paid so much attention, probably from having taught students in in college for so long, maybe. Uh, And now I still pay attention, but it's not quite as good. 
because of the aging process. And if you don't know what that means, then don't ask. (laughs) (laughs) I'm well aware of it. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Joe, for that. Jim, you're next. Well, my name is Jim Cohn. Um, I'm a professional land surveyor in Washington and Oregon and a certified federal surveyor. I uh, taught at Renton Technical College for 23 years, and I was also adjunct uh, faculty at um, Seattle University for five years. And actually, I'm adjunct at Renton now uh, for their own program. We have our second year online, and I help out there. I also work for uh, One Alliance Geomatics here in the Seattle area. I'm their quality control manager. And it's really a very nice job in that I'm working with the project managers and we're going over their work when they're having problems and stuff. And I try to help them with solutions so, and to see what they're doing. So we, we have problems ironed out before we have our deliverables to our clients. And that's, that's, that's where I come in. Um, geez, my, uh, uh, my personality trait, uh, that's, that's, that's a hard one. I, uh, I take pride in the fact that I, uh, I like to uh, work with people and I like to, to help people, especially in the surveying profession when I can. And I, all of you that are in the teaching thing, I, I think it's an honor to be a teacher. And mm-hmm. I take that very, uh, very seriously and I, I'm, I'm very proud of it. And uh, so that's, I guess that's where, where I stand. Fantastic, Jim. Thank you. Thank you for that. Todd, you're up next. All right. My name is Todd Horton. Um, I teach at Parkland College, a community college in Champaign, Illinois. I started the land surveying program there back in 2001. And I am uh, the director of our construction management programs. And I support our land surveying programs pretty pretty heavily. I'm also the uh, owner of Meridian Geospatial Consulting. It's a um, professional training company. We do um, uh, seminar services for geospatial professionals and I've worked in 42 states. Uh, I keep bumping into Joe at conferences when we're, where we're both speaking sometimes and uh, uh, been doing presentation work since the early 2000s, been teaching for 23 years. I'm a professional engineer and a professional land surveyor in Illinois. And um, personality-wise, um, since I started out as an engineer, I have no personality that I am aware of. Um, <laughs> oh, my, my daughter calls me Papa Bear, and uh, that seems to fit me well because I'm thinking about retiring from the sport of competitive napping and uh, cross-training into hibernation because you know as as a bear i've got the i've got the personality for it um the great thing is you get to eat a lot first you go to sleep people leave you alone for three months and when you wake up you've lost weight so it it sounds like sounds like the best of all worlds to me I like it. And you know what? I'm glad to know that napping is a sport. I'm going to have to let my wife know that because well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of an amateur at it, but I'm getting really good. I was going to say, I'm an up-and-comer on that one lately with this <laughs> yeah, whole now, COVID thing. Are you guys endurance nappers or are you sprint nappers? 
Oh gosh, I'm. I guess I'm probably a sprint napper at this point. Yeah. If I'm gonna do it, I do it right. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I get comfortable. Endurance. I make it a whole spectacle. But <laughs> I was, I was doing about a two-hour workout this weekend, and you know, it felt like it was coming to an end. And you know, I got a second wind, and I was able to go for another hour. Right. <laughs> Way to power through. Uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. All right, Todd. Thank you for that. Uh, we've got Adam. Adam, go ahead, buddy. Hey guys, uh, like Todd, I'm kind of interested in the competitive napping, mm. um, but maybe get an hour at a time right now. But uh, so my name's Adam McCartney, and I'm a survey party chief. Uh, I currently work at the Maricopa County Department of Transportation. I've been there about three years. Um, I got about 19 years experience in the field, and um, I just enrolled. This will be my third semester at Great Basin College, so. Um, like we talked about earlier, I'm on a path to try and uh, get ahead and get out of the field, uh, get licensed, that kind of thing. Um, I have a CST3 that I got about 10 years ago. And uh, personality-wise, uh, probably just dedication and hard work. Um, and I, I'm really uh, big on being a team player. Um, I believe in working with each other, trying to get things done, solve problems in the field. Uh, that kind of thing. That's great. I've known Adam for, gosh, oh my gosh, about 15 years. He, uh, when I first moved out to Arizona in 2005, he worked for the company that I worked for and uh, got to know him then. We've stayed in touch over the course of time. And uh, he, I haven't had a chance to work with him since. I'm trying to recruit him on a regular basis, but uh, it just hasn't happened yet. I think our, our, our paths will cross again at some point from a work standpoint, no question. But Adam, appreciate you being here. Appreciate all you guys being here. We've got uh, we've got a great perspective, uh, very diverse, so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Um, you know, I'm certain that you know, this is the beauty of these, these, um, these round tables, you know, I mean, I'm going to learn something. I can tell you right now, I'm going to learn something. So if that's the case, I know some of our listeners are going to learn something as well, which is the goal. Of course, we're I don't, don't want to blow uh, the heads up of these guys, but you've yeah. been pretty excited about this one. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No doubt about it. Um, so let's get into this. You know, there's, let me kind of set, set it up a little bit. There's a number of let's say different paths one can take to become a land surveyor you know there is experience and mentoring there is you know apprenticeship much like uh you know the union model i guess there is formal education and quite honestly there's a combination of all three so we're going to touch on all these and I guess maybe try to figure out the best way to go, if there is a best way to go. And of course, it depends on what state you're in and ultimately what your goal or goals may be. So we got like five different talking points we're going to try to get through. And the first thing is, you know, there's there's not a lot, and that's probably an understatement, of post-secondary education opportunities in the U.S. for land surveyors, um, which... You know, I mean, it, it's it's becoming a problem. I know a lot of programs are seeing uh, decline in, um, in in registrants or enrollment. I know there's programs that have closed over the last few years. It's not trending in a really good direction. So let's start with Joe. Joe, tell us tell us what your thoughts are in regards to to that topic. So um, when it comes to the ideal uh, background to become a licensed professional land surveyor, I really think the ideal would be 
combination of a four-year degree, um, an appropriate amount of experience, but an experience uh, uh, that is that involves engaging with the profession. Um, so most states, I believe today have some kind of a degree requirement, but it's not always mandatory. It's not the sole path. Certainly in my state of home state of Missouri, uh, we only require, and this is the minimum standard, the minimum standard is to have 12 credit hours in surveying coursework. You don't have to have a college degree and I'm actually involved in teaching a lot of those people who've never been to college in their life. Some of them are 50 years old. And finally, as, as many of you will probably agree, for many people, uh, becoming a licensed professional is kind of a delayed vocation. And so, uh, so that's, that's the practical side of it. Uh, unfortunately, we have so few programs that I really think the future to be able to address this need is to have uh, online programs. Uh, and I know there are a couple at least uh, represented here on this roundtable, but there, there's many others. And the big problem is that the brick and mortar schools, uh, many of them are always fighting the enrollment battle. Some are doing really well and have uh, kind of a consistent a student base that comes in at the four-year level, same thing at the two-year level, but others are constantly worried about whether they'll continue to exist. Some of you probably know, probably know about what happened in New Mexico, for example. So, um, but, but the ideal would be a four-year degree, at least uh, a, a college degree, but I would prefer a four-year degree myself when I see the future demands on what a surveying professional needs to deliver because one of the biggest problems with getting the surveying profession as a whole engaged, certainly in my state, is that they tend to look at looking in the rear view mirror. Well, I didn't need it. Well, I'll grudgingly accept that maybe with GPS and a couple of other new technologies, maybe a little bit of college would be helpful but I don't think they're projecting well enough into what a future land surveyor might be, especially one who has a successful business if they own one or partially own one. Yeah, I think those are all good points. And again, this is, this is the beauty of having this type of group together because right out of the gate, I'm going to disagree with you on one point. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, I mean, I became a surveyor kind of the old school way and that was, I mean, my degree is in architecture, and I went back to school and got 24 hours of survey classes. And the first state I was licensed in was Missouri, then Illinois, and then Iowa, just because because of those individual state requirements at the time, that's the order that I could get registered. For example, in, in Illinois, I'm sorry, um, I, I mean, it took me eight years after the time I graduated college with a degree in architecture before I could sit for the SIT exam. Now... Illinois has, you know, now they've in, incorporated a, a two or a four year degree for sure. I mean, me personally, and I mean, I look forward to hearing the rest of your opinions, of course. I mean, I think it's a combination of a two year degree plus experience. Um, but at the same time, I can see why somebody would lean towards the idea of a four year degree just because of the technology side of things. Technology is advancing at such a rapid rate in the survey profession that what it takes to 
you know, to understand everything. Maybe it is a four-year degree. I don't know. But I'm a little bit old school that way. Jim, how about you? What do you got to say on that? Well, I have, uh, I, I'm much like you. I, I When I started surveying a long time ago, um, I had no idea what it was. I just needed a job. I had just come back from Vietnam and I, uh, I was working at a 7-Eleven and a surveyor hired me out of there, handed me a plumb bob, and I had no idea what that was all about. But um, I think in a perfect world, I have to agree with Joe, if, a, if you could do it and go get a four-year degree at a good surveying school, that's wonderful. Hard to do. Most people can't do it for any, any number of reasons. And so the two-year schools, like the one that I taught at, um, they have a good alternative. And there you go with the uh, combination of education and, um, and experience. And in the state of Washington, we don't have an education requirement, but we do have continuing education requirements, if that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Once you're licensed, uh, continuing education. And... I think that we need to we need to be able to have a combination of all these things. And one of the things that I, I've, I've always been an advocate of is that the professional surveyor, what, wherever you are, is you're not legally bound to mentor your technicians, but you certainly are morally bound to. And I, uh, I and I think that that's a big deal. And we need to work along with our state societies in order to, uh, to help the technicians come along because they're our future. You know, every licensed surveyor here, you know, when you send a party chief out there, he's carrying your stamp. And if he doesn't know what he's doing, that's going to come back on you. And so the more they know, the better off everybody is. And I think that, um, you know, I, I, I wish we had... Uh, more opportunities for formal education. But Joe, I, I, I have to give you a heads up because I think what you do is just invaluable to the surveying profession. The, I, I've seen what you offer and I think it's just amazing. Um, going back to our state societies uh, with, with the Land Surveyor Association of Washington, we set up a, uh, a PLS refresher course and we have it online right now so people studying for their exams can go online and they can uh, they can take this course for the for a series of uh, different courses to help them with the with their exam. And it's things like this, and especially with this COVID, the way things are going now, we need to um, we need to think outside of the box. We need to start putting this stuff together. I see we're going to talk about that later on, but. I think that's my my time is up, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good stuff, Jim. I appreciate that. Todd, what's your perspective on this? Jim, like you, I agree that our technicians are the foundation of, of our profession. Uh, generally, when I talk to people, they're saying, we need three to five technicians for every land surveyor. And I know in my state, there's been such a push over the last two decades to make sure that we're getting... Um, professional land surveyors pumped out uh, that we have neglected our our technicians. Our technicians are the most underserved and most important people in our profession. Uh, there are some good things happening in, in Illinois that we're very excited about. In fact, uh, 
through the Dep U.S. Department of Labor, the Illinois Professional Land Surveyors Association has created a new apprenticeship. It is not a union-associated thing. Um, uh, Department of Labor is in the process of creating all kinds of apprenticeships that are not associated with any of the trades or the unions. So this includes uh, some training that Parkland is providing, Parkland College, where I work. And uh, in fact, as something that the Land Surveyors Association is doing as part of this, they have uh, a, a small handful of new apprentices that are going to be doing we call it a boot camp, basically learning, learning how to set up and operate basic instruments. And that's next week. And uh, those apprentices will be starting uh, some formal training over a, uh, it'll be effectively four college level courses at Parkland College spread out over the next two years. We're very excited about this because we know that if we grow an apprenticeship program, eventually eventually some of those apprenticeships, apprentices will self-identify as future professionals. Think about this. Jim, you know this very well. Um, the military, they don't recruit for officers. They recruit for enlisted because they need a lot of them. And some of those enlisted uh, recruits self-identify as officers. The ones, the ones you need to step into professional leadership roles will bubble from within. And I think this is a message that has caught on in Illinois. Another thing that I think um, has been helpful, and we may, you know, we may want to come back to this, but in Illinois at Parkland, uh, we have changed the way we do things. We've evaluated our market and realized the low-hanging fruit, the, the people that want the most to come get training, to get licensed, are the ones who can't because they're already working. Hmm. So we have changed our model so that instead of having to come to classes uh, during the week, they come get um, our labs, our hands-on labs on weekends. Um, so instead of coming, you know, once a week for 16 weeks, they come three weekends per course. So our mantra is come earn 24 credit hours of surveying by coming to Parkland one weekend a month for 24 months. Mm. So it's like we the Army Reserve. Yeah, yeah it, it kind of <laughs> it really is. is. You know, yeah. when, I, when I was in the Air yeah. National Guard, I got kind of used to this being gone all weekend. And, you know, our students really love it because it fits their life. Yeah, no, that's awesome that uh, you've built in the flexibility because I don't know if there's such thing as a traditional student these days, especially in serving. I don't know if there ever was, to be honest oh, no. with you. No, I'll be honest. With you. So the can I interrupt one one second? Yeah, here? of course, I Jim. Just please want to bring up one more thing. Yeah, please do. Is that we also have to tell our our surveyors that if you choose to stay a technician, you can make a very good living at. That's right. Every yeah. person does yeah. not have to become a professional. That's right. And yep. a good technician, as we all know, they're worth their weight in gold. You're right, you know? Jim. You, you, I mean, I think you nailed it on the head. Um, I mean, honestly, I couldn't do what I do if I didn't have rock star technicians. It's that simple. Yeah. Not yeah. everybody has the aspiration, let's say, to be a licensed professional surveyor, and that's okay. That's okay. The, oh, the, that's right. Those surveyors, those you know, instrument operators, you know, party chiefs, so on and so forth. I mean, those are the folks making the money. Let's face it. You know, those are the ones that are making the company money, and uh, right. they're invaluable. Invaluable. 
Absolutely. So here, again, the beauty of this panel is, you know, Joe, Jim, and Todd, you guys are all currently or have been part of academia. And then we have Adam on board. So Adam's going to have a little bit different perspective. He's the guy, you know, boots on the ground. He's the guy working towards becoming licensed and at the same time obtaining an education. So Adam, what do you got to say about this? Oh, uh, well, well, two things while they're fresh in my mind is uh, Jim is absolutely right. I have made a pretty good living being a solid technician and party chief in the field. Um, and there's no reason that I can't continue to do that for another 20 years and sail off into the sunset. Um, I have drive inside that's pushing me to go beyond being just a party chief. Um, the other thing is, uh, Todd, I wish we had an opportunity like that in Arizona uh, to go on the weekend and at least get some kind of credits. Um, you know, when Kent, when you first moved out here, they did have a program at Phoenix College yep. for land serving. I don't know if it was for an associate's degree or a certificate or a BAS. Um, and I had the opportunity to attend at that time, but I never had the drive to do it. You know, uh, I didn't want to go to actual an actual class at the end of the day after surveying all day. And I let it slip me by. And that program went away during the Great Recession. And uh, wasn't until I got a little older that I decided that that's something that I really wanted to do um, in Arizona. I think uh, I forgot which one of you is in Washington. Uh, that's that's Jim. Yeah. yeah. Arizona has no educational requirement for licensure. So anybody can go get a license in Arizona. And I've seen some surveys that are evi <laughs> that are evidence of that. And um, so, so my thinking, what I wanted to do was try and do something that in the future is going to separate myself from my peers. Uh, because it's getting more and more competitive out there. Um, so I am pursuing the Bachelor of Applied Science in land surveying to help me get an edge. So not just a license, but a degree to help me get an edge and, and move forward. I just wish, like I said, we had those opportunities here in town because now I have to. And and real quick, too, I'd like to add just that I reached a point when I when I discovered Great Basin College and with the advent of online technology, there was really no more excuses for me not to do this. I can do it right here from my desk at home, uh, late into the night, early in the morning. So I just, I ran out of excuses. So, <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. I've, like I say, I've known Adam for about 15 years and I've definitely seen, uh, seen him, you know, him grow as a surveyor. And when I found out he was pursuing an education and licensure, I was really, really happy because, uh, and I, I still look at Adam and this is, this is a whole nother topic, but I look at Adam as a, as a young surveyor and Adam, how old are you? You're 40, I'm 43. I'll be 44 next month. 44. And I still yep. look at you as a young surveyor. <laughs> I am. I still look at myself. <laughs> when I met you, I still remember real quick too. Yeah. Uh, first, first project I did for you, you were the project manager. I was a young party chief. I probably had yep. less than a year uh, as a party chief. And I set up the project in U.S. survey feet because that's what I had always been taught to do at my previous jobs. Yeah. Kent calls me up in the field one day and says, hey, I see you set your job up in U.S. survey feet. I said, yeah. He says, well, you know, the state of Arizona uses the international foot, right? <laughs> uh, okay. So, so yeah, I was pretty inexperienced when I met uh, yeah. Kent, but, um, you know, every day I learn a little more. Yeah, uh, even even right now. So hey, you and me both, man. When we stop learning, we stop living. I'm telling you. Yep, yep. No doubt about it. Um, all right, so let's touch on this real quick. Um, you know, there are a lot of lot of not a lot, but there's some different types of opportunities. You know, you have 
a, you know, a handful of, say, university survey programs. You have a handful of community college survey programs. And, of course, as been already mentioned, there's a bunch of online learning. Um, Todd, I'm going to start with you. Uh, you've talked a little bit about what you have going on at Parkland. Um, but do you have... Is, do you think one route's better than the other, or is it just one of those deals where it's good to have options, that people have options? Well, I think options are always good. Um, and really, those options depend on, you know, the leadership within, within your state. Um, uh, there are some states that have had some great leadership at the university level. Um, you know, Missouri, where Joe is, uh, there's... Uh, been really a long history of very qualified people there. Um, here in Illinois, uh, we've had surveying programs at SIU Carbondale, SIU Edwardsville, Northern Illinois University, and at Parkland. And the two that remain are Edwardsville and Parkland. And um, uh, one of the reasons that Parkland is able to keep doing its thing is that we're fairly nimble. Uh, from a business model standpoint, uh, my my colleague Corey Allred, who joined us, having you know, he came to us from Northern Illinois University. He joined us last year, just a year ago. Um, you know, he he witnessed firsthand how at, at the university level, just because of the infrastructure and the 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 uh, the way the whole system is governed, it takes a long time to implement. A lot of things. Well, we went from uh, a traditional survey program to our new weekend land survey program format in six months. Hmm. Um, we started advertising it. In fact, uh, oh, we rolled it out at the 2017 annual conference of land surveyors in February. And that very day, once we announced it, I had people coming to our table saying, where do I sign up? And, and in fact, we're at the point now that the very first person who did that, we're going to bring her on as a classroom assistant. She's oh, well. finished the program. She's passed her SIT. Uh, we're going to bring, bring her on as, as a classroom assistant, uh, one of, kind of a poster child for the program. But um, so the community college can be fairly nimble. Um, we have the ability to hire people based on their experience, uh, whereas some of the universities don't, you know, they, they have to, just because of their charter, they have to bring people in with uh, the master's and the PhD level. And, you know, there's not too many of those. Joe is a national treasure in that regard, you know, because he's been doing this for so long and he's, he's got the education. His colleague Dick Elgin and <laughs> our guy, um, uh, Corey Allred and several others, you know, have been uh, been great treasures. Uh, but uh, the 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 overhead and the infrastructure that you see at the university level, it can be a blessing, but it can also um, be a, a cost that that has to be dealt with. Um, so that's. That's just a little part of the argument, but I throw that out there as a, as a at least a, hopefully a half-hearted response. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And I'm going to kind of change it up here midstream. Um, what? So 
I think a root of the problem is, and Adam mentioned it, you know, for example, here in Arizona, I think Arizona's, gosh, lower, I don't know, maybe last, I think maybe there's two states that don't require any post-secondary education. And not only that, you know, we don't require any continuing education either. And I always say, you know, my dog could get registered in Arizona. Um, But the thing is, I mean, every state is different as far as what the requirements are. I mean, do you ever think we would get to the point or would there be value in every state having the same requirements, whatever that be, whether that be a four-year degree, two-year degree with X amount of years of experience or just experience, who knows? So Jim, what do you think about that? Well, I'm against it. There you go. Yeah, no, that's done great. and done. Good. Done. Um, I, here's what I'm, uh, here, here's why. Um, as you know, um, all surveys are local, and we can't have one set standard for for every uh, for every state. Now, I believe you're talking about academic standards, not practical standards, or a combination oh, of yes. the two. For, yep. for, yes. Well, you know, the practical standards for for exams, for state exams, the, the laws are different from state for state. So you can't just say, okay, if I'm licensed in in Washington, I can come down to Arizona and survey. You know, I mean, that would just that would be suicidal. But um, I think that as far as academic requirements are concerned, Mm -hmm. I'm not totally against those. I don't know where it is, uh, whether it should be. At this point in my life, I'm against having a bachelor's degree requirement. And that's because of um, uh, availability. You know, I mean... It would be great if uh, one of my students uh, that I was teaching at Renton Tech, and, and they've done this before, go on down to OIT or they go to another school and, and get their four-year degree. That's a wonderful thing, but it doesn't happen very often. And um, if we have a two-year requirement, we have to have the avenue for the guy, you know, like Adam over here, I'll use you as an example. Um, to, to get his formal education while he's working. So we have to put that model together. And that's a combination of working with, the, with academia, which Todd can tell you, and so can Joe, that can be, that can be a nightmare in itself. But um, also uh, in conjunction with our state organizations like the Land Survey Association of Washington or whatever we have uh, in there, and we have to start thinking about how we can put these models together. I would like to see some kind of formal education because I think it would be better for the profession, but I don't know where that cutoff is. Does that make sense to you? I don't know if it's yep. X number yep. of hours in, in surveying classes, whether it's an associate's degree in surveying, whether it's a bachelor's degree or a bachelor's degree in surveying, I just, I have a tendency to get confused on that, and I and I really think that life experience in the surveying profession is worth its weight in gold if it's done right. Yeah, I could not well, agree. I, excuse me. No, that answer your question. Yeah, absolutely, Jim, and I, I I personally couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I would not. I mean, I feel like I took the longest way possible to become a licensed surveyor, but I would not change that path for anything you know i had a mentor when i first started that i worked with for the better part of 12 years the very first job i had out of college and uh without him uh, i would not be where i am today 
you know, college had nothing to do with it. My success was as a result of my mentor, who I am forever indebted to. Uh, Joe, what do you got to say about that? So uh, I'd like to start by my opening comment, which was, and I believe I said, ideally, I would like to see surveyors have a four-year degree. That's ideally. I didn't say that's what I want and that I'm pushing for today. Uh, so let's call it aspirational. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of the things that's happening, uh, I just retired. I'm now the past president of the Surveying and Geomatics Educators Society. And one of the things that I see in that society is, in my opinion, you know, some of them are probably going to jump on me, but because it's uh, because I'm no longer president, I probably am okay with it. Um, but I don't see all the schools that are represented in the membership of the educators working equally hard to look at the future and try to understand what the needs are. That's something we're doing differently in Missouri. We've decided let's provide as much of the education online as possible so that they can get it no matter where they are in the state or for that matter in the country. We still make them come to campus just like Todd does, but we even have a twist on that, which I got when I uh, taught for a year at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. They allow labs to be done remotely mentored. So we have lab projects and we tell the students, if you're too far away from campus, you find a licensed surveyor who will actually sign on the dotted line and provide the equipment, all the support, we give you a lab project to do, you sit down with your mentor and you figure out in your situation, because you may not have a campus that looks like ours at your work situation, to redesign a little bit, do your lab project with the equipment that your mentor provides, and then you send it in to be graded. And this came partly from being a member of ABET and wanting to see an equivalent experience between on-campus instruction and remote instruction. So we're still doing the grading the same way. We still provide the same outline for how the project is done, but different people do it differently. And I, and I think that's a good recipe. It's not the only recipe for, for in the future being more inclusive of the entire population to have access to good surveying education. One of the things that's happening inside the same group, SAGES, Surveying and Geomatics Educator Society, is the trend towards, okay, maybe not a four-year degree in surveying, but let's ask for a four-year degree in a related area where you have, just like you do, Kent, a substantial number of courses in surveying. Here's the reason. There's something about going to college and getting a four-year degree that you get that is more than just plain old education, meaning book knowledge. Mm -hmm. It teaches you to be a more mature thinker, teaches you to be a more mature writer, teaches you to be a more more mature speaker. And I think all of these characteristics are really important looking into the future for the next generation of two of surveyors. So there's 54 jurisdictions in the United States because you've got to count Puerto Rico, DC, and a whole bunch of other smaller areas. And there's no way in heck, I'm going to say, because I'm not a lot sure if I'm allowed to say the other word, um, to get them all to subscribe to the same set of educational standards. I agree with Jim that we, every state has unique uh, laws and customs that make it impossible to have a national license where you just sign on the dotted line, pay a check and you get 
Although a few states have started doing it, I think Kentucky may be the first one. Uh, we have enough differences right here in Missouri, just with the U.S. public land survey system from all uh, joining states, leave alone all the Western states. There's no way that a surveyor who is familiar with the public land survey system in those states can come to Missouri and actually do it correctly. And that's exhibited in the fact that they come in assuming that they can, they take the state specific exam, as most of you know, is it, that's administered as part of the comedy process and they fail it. And some of them fail it 10 times and they still don't get it yeah. because that's the other problem. Because they haven't had the discipline of study and research, at least that's my view, from a four-year degree process, they don't bother to crack open the books, whether that's the statute books or some book mm -hmm. written by some knowledgeable survey in the state that tells them how to do it. They just keep thinking, if I keep beating my head against the wall, meaning take the exam 10 times, I'll eventually figure it out. The same way surveyors sometimes say, I don't need to know how to use this fancy equipment, I'll figure it out, and they still have their shrink wrap manuals two years later. Yep. So, uh, so, so that's the problem. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, today I am very actively involved in advancing two two-year colleges towards establishing a two-year degree program because that's what the societal uh, societal restrictions allow because there's the chicken and the egg, right? Yep. People say, well, we want to have a four-year degree program or where are the students? But the students, you go and recruit them, they're going to say, where's the program? So you have to kind of build each one up a little bit at a time to get to a level where we again, have a, a, a better situation. But I agree that the states that have no educational requirements at all, and I see Missouri at the low end, but I didn't realize that there were states lower than us <laughs> uh, by as much as you just described. Uh, I think it would do the entire profession a lot of good because what we're doing is reinforcing old behaviors that have existed in the last century that maybe worked out well for the professionals then, but which isn't, we're doing a disservice to the professionals of the future. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 110%. And, and Adam, um, you know, I'm going to go to you with this one. Um, it's interesting, in your case, you know, you've been serving, how, how many years have you been serving? Uh, 19 years. 19 years. So you were serving, let's say, 17 years before you decided to go to school. And yes, pretty you, much you did that in a state that does not require any post-secondary education. So kudos to you for, you know, wanting to, you know, further your, your education, your understanding as it pertains to serving. Um, what, what, what are your thoughts on, uh, on the topic of, you know, at least a minimum of a two-year degree required? And again, you know, coming from Arizona. Well, <clears throat> When I get my two-year degree, on the way to the four-year degree, I will think everybody should have to have one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all jokes aside, um, I, you know, it's 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 a catch-22. I mean, it's something I think that probably needs to be done in almost every state, a minimum two-year degree. Um, but again, ha having the avenue to achieve that is not as easy as it seems, you know, if a state requires education for licensure, but there's no 
avenue to obtain that education in the state, it's kind of hard to do. So, yep. um, but yeah, I, I think overall it, it is a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you mentioned that, um, you know, you, you achieved the, uh, the CST level three and yep. that's no joke. And I want to talk a little bit about that because, you know, the CST program allows folks to, um, you know, gain credentials with, on, their, on their path to licensure should they decide to go that direction or just to build their um, confidence uh, at, at the same time. Um, you know, what I guess we're going back to the, the topic of, of the technicians. You know, I know, you know, there's there's unions as far as apprenticeships goes, but I, I keep going back to mentoring and how important that is. Again, you know, I was very fortunate to have an unbelievable mentor. Those unbelievable mentors, they are few and far between these days. And fewer and fewer people are willing to pass along their knowledge, their wisdom, their expertise as it pertains to surveying, which puts us in a really, really tough spot. I mean, what, Todd, what do you think about that? Mm. Well, you know, I see the mentoring thing is a trend that parallel, the, the loss of mentoring is a trend that parallels our technology. You know, as we, as we went from uh, taping everything and doing control work with bar tapes and things like that, and we, we got a we got an EDM. Wow, you know, crew size started shrinking. Mm-hmm. And you know, by the time I showed up doing survey in the in the early '90s, you know, um, if you had a three man crew, you were working for the state, and if it was a two man yeah. crew, that was everybody else in reality. Yeah. And then now we're down to one-man crews. Where, where does mentoring go? Well, so our technology has made our crew sizes smaller. Yes, mentoring has gone um, has gone away as a consequence of our, I guess you could say, our technological and economic choices. Um, so I, I see mentoring as something that we we have to replace somehow. And I think the I think the apprenticeship models are a great way to do that. I think uh, uh, I believe New York State has a fairly aggressive um, uh, or fairly well developed apprenticeship model. Uh, California, I think they do apprenticeships uh, through the union side, don't they? Um, oh yeah, for sure. Yep. Yeah. So I think those those are. I guess the way I'm looking at it is, if you can't do, if you can't do uh, mentoring the way we've done it in the past, and we have to find a different way to impart mm-hmm. those lessons, yep. uh, we can't just keep wishing it back into existence. You know, you know, there are plenty of us that would like to say, you know, well, yeah, I'd li- I don't like one man crews, but I can't afford not to do one man crews. You know, mm-hmm. we'd love to be able to say to, you know, we're going to hire a new guy and say, we're going to give you three years on a two man crew. Well, we're going to do our best to give you some good training, but it's never going to be quite enough. So I think, I think structured training is, is an answer. Now, how we do that is going to vary from place to place. Um, I, sometimes I wonder, 
you know, this is just thinking out loud here. I wonder if state associations may be uh, the, the, the place to get started. Maybe state associations are um, standing up their own training programs. Maybe it's not even a formal apprenticeship, but maybe it's a matter of saying, hey, quarterly, we've got this cadre of, of talented uh, surveyors who are also pretty good at teaching. And we're going to have, you know, technician camp once a quarter in different corners of the state. I don't know. But I, I see technician training as one of, I guess I'm repeating myself, is one of our biggest, biggest needs right now. And, and mentoring is, is what used to do that. Yep. Yep. No, I totally agree. Um, Jim, I know you've been involved with NSPS and um, are familiar with the CST program. I mean, talk a little bit about that and the value of that in your eyes. Oh, let me tell you. I, I'll answer that by telling you a story. I started surveying in Maryland back in 68. And it was a job. You know, I was a, a young father, had to work, you know, that kind of stuff. Had the opportunity to move to Alberta, Canada for a job. And I did. And I worked out there. Well, in Alberta, they had a thing called the, um, let me see what it's called, the Alberta Society of Engineering Technicians. And um, my boss had me apply for it because it was a, a certification program. Long story short, I became a certified engineering technician for the Alberta Society. That changed my professional career. Getting that piece of paper, I started thinking of surveying as a profession instead of a job to put food on the table. That right there alone. Now, as far as the CST program is concerned, I think it's worth its weight in gold and I wish more people would do it because what that does is it tells the employer, I'm a certified surveying technician, I have a certain competence level. You, you have that and you know, there's always pluses or minuses or some people not gonna live up to it, but that's a great thing on a, on a technician's resume. I know I would sooner hire a certified technician than one who wasn't. And um, not only does it do that, like you say, you're a level three, Adam. Yes. That, that's a commitment. Yep. You know, I mean, that, that, is. Just, that is not just, that's not just, well, I think I'll just take the exam. Mm -hmm. um, and you need to, uh, you need to really be committed to do that. And I think it's a great, um, it's a great thing for technicians. We talked about the people who want to stay technicians their entire career because they love being a party chief or like whatever reason, great CAD people, stuff like that. Um, that. That is also a credential for them. They have, they can put CST after their name. Those are big deal things, especially in our profession because face it folks, we all like credentials. Yep. I mean, and, and I don't know a profession that doesn't like credentials. And um that is the, that's wonderful. I think that the uh, the um, CST program is great. Now, as far as mentoring, I'd like to talk about that for just a little bit. That's the reason I wrote that book was for mentoring, and um, it uh, I, I said that we had uh, a moral obligation to mentor our technicians and, and our young professionals, the ones that are just brand new licensed. Because face it, first time any of us stamp something. 
I don't know where your heart was, but mine was right. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, you know, we, we have this moral obligation and we can't do it the way we did. I learned how to calculate a horizontal curve over the hood of a truck, you know. Yep. We can't do that kind of stuff now. So we have to set up these apprenticeships like you were talking about. Um, and we need to... We, we need to set this up. And I think it's a marriage between education, the, the community college, the technical colleges, the professional organizations. If they can come up to some kind of a marriage, that's how, for example, that's how the surveying program and, uh, at, at Renton Tech got started. The education committee chairman for the LSAW, Land Surveyor Association of Washington, came to the school and said they wanted to put together a two-year program. And the president of the school said, yeah, we'll look into that, but we have to get a buy-in from the profession first. Mm. I went up there and I went to our, our, our board of directors meetings and I explained to them what we wanted to do. And um, they bought into it. They endorsed it. I took that back to the president of the school and he said, oh, great. We can, we can start working on this. And because I'm a technical college, or Renton Technical College is a technical college and not a community college, we have a different standard. Hmm. We have the students for six hours a day, five days a week. Oh, that, wow. was the model. that was the model. And so when we put the program together, our advisory committee came in and they brought in some other surveyors. And the dean said, if you could have your surveyors learn anything they, you wanted them to learn, what would it be? And they started writing it down and we refined it from there. And that's how we created our curriculum. And uh, it was a very successful model from the uh, surveyors that are graduates. As a matter of fact, I'm working for one of my graduates. <laughs> <laughs> that's really cool. That is. And, uh, the, um, and, and several of my graduates are, are project managers there. But, uh, you know, these... These, that's how we got this. And we have, uh, from the graduates that we've kept track of, we've had 70, I think it's 78 professional land surveyors. And we've had over 100 LSITs. Wow. And those are the ones that we could, we, could get, uh, we could get in touch with and find out about. Yeah. So no, it's, it's worth it. And, you've, and, you've, and we, but we have to work together on these things. We just can't just go off on our own. Yep, no question. I know I rambled on there, and I'm sorry. Oh, no, 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 not at all, Jim, not at all. And I, I think one thing that I want to circle back on that you said, um, credentials show commitment. And yes. whether that be a CST, an LS, RLS, what have you, it shows commitment. It shows a certain level of, uh, of professionalism. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but I, I found out not too long ago that in the U.K., they actually have uh, a survey school. It's called the Survey School by, I think it's the Land Surveyors... Uh, association is the name of their group possibly I'm not sure exactly I have to go back and look but they have it's almost like a surveyor's boot camp you know kind of like mm -hmm. what you guys have talked about and I mean yeah. to get people introduced to the profession you know at a technician level whether it be field or office um, going <laughs> that route I think is a genius idea I mean how we change the paradigm of the way people think and get to that point I have no idea but um, something like that definitely does, like you said, Todd, it takes the place of what used to be mentoring. You know? Let me, I'd like to comment on that a little bit too. Um, 
our challenge is compete having a message in the high schools that competes yep that competes with other voices and and i don't see us so much competing with the with our with our colleagues in the construction trades i mean they they do great work in recruiting because they can say when you come to work for us we're looking for somebody that has a good work ethic has a great attitude and is ready to learn you don't have to have skills we're going to fix that and along the way this is what you're going to this is what your starting pay is going to be and this is what it's going to at least going to be this when you end well that's a message that we're starting to put out and that's a message that catches the attention of high school students and we're hoping that this will uh i guess we we can tune our message to the folks we're trying to attract yeah no question about it um man yeah some really good points um so we've pretty much got through like the five talking points that i was hoping we get through um but i do want to ask you guys one thing and i'm going to start with you joe on this um you know, of course, COVID-19, it's had an effect on, on the profession, of course, um, not necessarily in a good way. And I think it's going to also have an effect on a lot of the things we've talked about, how, you know, surveyors go about obtaining education. Um, Joe, I know you're really big, obviously, with the, with the online learning. And, um, you know, I know there are some registration boards that are somewhat, I think, as you mentioned, you know, reluctant to accept online content, even for continuing education. That's going to have to change, I believe. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Joe? Well, as far as the online uh, continuing education goes, many states have actually put waivers in place uh, to allow, so Missouri has a limitation. They say uh, you can get up to 60% of your required continuing education through online, but you have to get the remainder with uh, and the use of word that's uh, that escapes me, but basically needs to be in person. You need to get, receive the instruction from a live person in the room. So since the pandemic has hit, my company, GeoLearn, just because we deliver our continuing education using video, have a lot, a lot of experience doing probably what Jake's doing. And so we've gone in and managed virtual conferences uh, for state associations and we've done them as hybrid events. So we actually take a bunch of cameras down and a live switcher. Uh, we shoot the uh, event as if we're taping, but we're actually webcasting it. And it's amazing how many people come back with, this is such a great way to get education. Uh, why does the licensing board have all these limitations? Because I can get an MBA online from a really good school, not some, some school nobody ever heard of that just sh sells sheepskins, really good quality schools. And yet I can't get continuing education online. What's wrong with this picture? And I think it's backward thinking on the part of someone at the licensing board. I don't know if it's the surveyors or someone that manages all the licensing boards. Um, but part of the problem, too, is that surveyors don't take enough control of their profession. Mm -hmm. So this whole thing about educational requirements, why aren't the professional surveyors in Arizona, to pick an example at random, working harder to institute a requirement for education to become licensed? And if people say it's too hard, why not? query people like us to ask, well, are there, how can we overcome some of the barriers are throwing up? 
I know how it worked in my state because I've been fighting this education issue for a good 30 years. And I would say it took about 10 years to get to just the point where surveyors would accept a modicum of education. And I think it's partly because they were feeling exposed because they didn't have the education. They somehow thought they shouldn't put that as an expectation for the surveyors of tomorrow. And in my opinion, they were being short-sighted because they were selling the newcomers short by saying, you don't need to be any better than us. And I don't look at it that way. You know, I want my children to be better than me. I want my students to be better than me. And I want their students to be better than them. And if we don't have that way of thinking in the profession, and we don't have enough of us educators and other people with four-year degrees who have kind of a broader view of how that works, how you pass the baton. It's not simply learning how to lay a brick on another brick and how much mortar you put in and you've learned that technique for a zillion years and let's keep doing it for a zillion years because surveying is changing. Actually, how you bring, build brick walls has changed too. But, but we sometimes, as a profession, tend to think of our profession as being static, that there's nothing yeah. changing in how we do our work, whether that's the legal aspects or, 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 or any other thing. I mean, I just taught a review course. So I actually had to webcast a co course that I was teaching. Fortunately, I had my team in there managing it. And I was really surprised to see how little interest, not just knowledge, but how little interest there was on the part of these people who were there to take the licensing exam, meaning that they had the education and believed they had all the experience requirements met to be able to take the license. And yet, just to pick one area, they knew nothing about geodesy because they said, well, I don't need to know geodesy to do land surveys. Well, you do, because in Missouri, if you're gonna comply with um, standards for property boundary surveys, you have to publish state plane coordinates. And just with the changes coming in in 22 or 23 or whenever, right? <laughs> yep. You better start learning this stuff. And what they do instead is push the button and they have no idea. And my bet is that if I went out and evaluated the state plane coordinates published by surveyors that mo many of them would be wrong. I'm not gonna say at this point it would be most, but just based on my interviews of professional surveyors as well as the ones who are in this course, they know very little about it. So I'm not seeing this desire to be exceptional, to deliver your best possible product, to just because the landowner or whoever's buying the survey, the title company, the mortgage company, whoever, doesn't understand state plane coordinates and will never know how to check them, doesn't mean that you don't do your level best to make sure that those state plane coordinates are actually what they should be, you know, because they should be thinking about it in the same way they often talk about, as Jim said, staking their reputation when they put their seal on, on the survey. And I think many surveyors actually today, letting many, survey, many surveys be published whatever that means, you know, being recorded or being delivered to clients when they are less than the best they can be doing. And I think it's a problem with the profession that we haven't looked outwardly enough. We only look inward and we always look in the rearview mirror. Mm -hmm. How have we done it in the past? Let's keep doing it that way. Yeah, gosh. I'm sorry, did you have something, Jim? Uh, no, I just, I, I agree, Joe. I agree with you 100%. We. We need to look forward. 
you know, I, I used to tell my students the when I started surveying in 1968, it was closer to the way George Washington surveyed mm -hmm. than the way we're surveying today. Good point. And we have got to do that. You put a you put a robotic total station in front of me, and I I'd hang my hat on it, or you know something like I I wouldn't know what to do. Yeah. But I agree with you. We're not plain surveyors anymore. We're geodetic right. surveyors, like it or not. Yep. And we need to know that stuff, and we need those mm -hmm. technicians to know it. I teach a class on random error theory, and I think that's one of the most valuable classes a technician can learn. Oh, absolutely. Because they need to know what measurements are about, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, and and it's, it, it's getting bigger. That's why I used to be one of those guys, nope, we don't need any education requirements. By God, I came up with what, what, you know, all that kind of stuff that we've all heard. But I, my mind has been changed. We need we need to have the technical expertise, and that comes through a combination of experience and education. Yeah, in, soapbox. <laughs> in, in this course that I was teaching, uh, I had a random error section, and everybody takes notes, but I can see their eyes glaze over. Okay, I need to know this for the exam, but then I can forget about it. I, I can uh, just read their minds. Mm. And, and, and that's the unfortunate part because partly it's the mentoring or maybe I should say the uh, substandard mentoring that they get from people in the profession and the lack of what I call the, the, the broader worldview of where is the profession in time today? Where is the profession going? What do I need to prepare myself for 10 years down the line, 20 years down the line, not just get my license and then retire on my laurels and never learn a darn thing again? Yeah, really good point. Really good point. I um, So I think we're going to call this survey education chapter one because there's a lot more that I've it has come to my mind as, as we're having this discussion that I think we could take further. Unfortunately, we don't have all that time at the moment, but hopefully you guys will come back again in a few months to, uh, to take this a little bit further. I really, uh, I've really enjoyed this. Um, you know, that being said, I'm going to give each of you an opportunity to basically give some parting thoughts on the topic. And Adam, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Um, well, first, I wanted to thank you for having me on. So I've, I've really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed listening to what Jim, Joe, and Todd had to say. Um, and just thinking about what Jim did just say, um, you know, and, and I realized a couple of years ago that there was going to be a need for surveyors that have a bachelor's degree. Um, not a lot of people have that, especially here in Arizona. Um, so it was kind of, I had a vision <laughs> that there's going to be a need for this and I want to be ready to fulfill that need um, in the future. So, um, you know, that's, and hopefully I'll get there. I'm going to be almost 50 by the time I finish the, uh, <laughs> the, ba the bachelor's degree. But like my advisor, Byron Calkins at Great Basin said, so you'll be 50 with a bachelor's degree. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I had a, uh, it was really a, educational uh discussion and you guys uh anybody who's listening probably give a lot to think about to him so yeah and adam just keep in mind even if you're 50 you're still going to be a young surveyor 
Yeah, well, I, I, I'll take it, man. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, Adam, thanks for being here, man. I really appreciate sure, it. It was, it was kind of last minute, and uh, can't tell you how much uh, I appreciate you being able to jump on with us tonight. Uh, Todd, sure. go ahead, buddy. Boy, there's so many, so many things. Um, I an adage that I have learned, um, and it's not doesn't just apply to surveying and is match the tool to the task. Mm. And so when it comes good. to education, uh, sometimes we've got to start with the tools we have. Um, I, I know that uh, not, every, not every state has the ability to stand up a, an educational program, but they do have talent. Uh, talent within their, their professional associations uh, and I, I believe as a profession, uh, we have great opportunity ahead of us to cultivate that talent to, and to help, help those people to uh, create those training opportunities for our future generations. Mm. So I, I appreciate Jim's perspective and Joe's perspective looking forward um, you know, the, the rear view mirror analogy has been very, very uh, eye opening for me. And I, I appreciate that. But I, I am, I am very optimistic about what's going, going forward. I'm thrilled to death about uh, CST. Very proud of what you've done, Adam. And uh, I think that's because of your role there, you're a great role model mm -hmm. for, for many other young technicians. And um, I guess I look at my professional challenge as uh, helping us build the future of surveying education. Yep. No question. And Todd, thank you again for, uh, for being a part of this. Happy this to panel. be here. Really appreciate Very it. Very happy to be here. Uh, uh, Mr. Cohn. Well, I thank you for having me on. I, uh, it's, it's quite an honor and I appreciate it. Um, we, we've talked a lot and, and it seemed like the, the big theme here is not taking care of the professional. The professional has a lot of avenues that they can get education on, but that technician, mm. they're the ones in the wind. And I'm gonna put in a shameless plug for my book here because I, I wrote a book called Survey Math for the technician who has little or no education. And I'm giving it away to anybody who wants it. Um, Mind you, I'm not the world's greatest writer, but if you know a technician that wants to learn about something, and I have just basic stuff in there. I told you this would be on YouTube. And um, it was, um, it, 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 it's there for you if you want it. And I, I got it, I can't leave without telling a story about Joe. <laughs> uh, many years ago, I was given a, uh, a lecture on random error theory on, um, at uh, the ACSM conference, I want to say it was in Arizona, but it could have been someplace else. And all of a sudden, Dr. Paiva walks in and sits right in front, in the front of the of the uh, of the classroom. And I go, "Oh my God! If I make a mistake, I'll never hear this." <laughs> about halfway through the presentation, I stopped being terrified of making a mistake. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told you that, Joe, but I sure remember it. <laughs> those uh, those doctors are intimidating. <laughs> yes, they are. And um, 
but I, I, I appreciate it. And anytime you want me back, all you got to do is ask. Oh, my gosh. We appreciate that, Jim. And, uh, you know, you mentioned your book. And I, I've, I, I have a copy of it, uh, electronic copy, of course, in PDF. And it is invaluable. So we'll make sure that Adam gets a copy of that for sure. Yeah. What yeah, was the name of the book? Well, 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 Jim, we'll have Jim email it to you. Sir? Yeah. Give them, anybody who wants it, give them my email address, and I'll be glad to send them a PDF of it. Yeah, do you want to? I also have a PowerPoint that goes with it if you want. If that yep, it's uh, it's like gold in my opinion. So, uh, Joe, you got the last word, buddy. Well, thanks for inviting me to participate. Yes, I'd be happy to come back. I think there's a lot of work that ties into what the profession ought to be doing because the profession as a group and the profession as individuals really need to step up and do a lot more to make sure that the integrity uh, as well as the viability of the profession continues because it is their responsibility even if they look to the licensing board. Um, so, and I, and I want to say, Jim, I love to go into classes that other people teach because it's amazing how much I can learn from going to a class being taught on a subject I know on a subject I don't know because that's part of my lifelong learning program and I wish more surveyors would subscribe to lifelong learning. Yep, no question. Way to way to put a bow on it, Joe. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Um, Ryan, got anything to add, man? I know I, I know I didn't give you a chance to say much tonight. <laughs> well, this is this is your wheelhouse. So I fully understand that and appreciate all these guys bringing their perspectives and I, you know, the whole reason we started this promote the profession, uh, geomatics in general, but surveying specifically, and and like you said, Adam being fifty and a young surveyor, yeah, that's the whole reason we're here. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, other than that, yeah. no, I couldn't put add anything to this this group. Yeah, that no, was great. It was great. And again, thank thank you guys all. You're all leaders in your uh, your own right and what you're doing. And you know, it's. Uh, Again, you know, we're, uh, we're very humbled uh, to ha have you guys on, so we appreciate it. All right. Uh, with that, as always, take the time to get involved with your local survey organization. Find out ways you can pay it forward. Look for opportunities to help out someone that is struggling during these crazy times. Bank some good karma. Remember, you get what you give. Thank you again for listening and for your continued support. Check out our friends of the program, as many of them are now offering promos exclusively for Geoholics listeners. Uh, be sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, and now YouTube. Please take a second to subscribe to our channel. Feel free to send us an, an email at info at geoholics.com if you want to be a guest on a future show or a future panel. Thanks again, everybody. Until next time, stay safe and healthy. Once again, thanks to our friends of the program, Bad Elf GPS. Find them at bad-elf.com, Land Surveyors United, landsurveyorsunited.com, LIDAR News, lidarnews.com, Parkland College Land Survey Program is parkland.edu slash surveying, Unifly, U-N-I-F-L-I dot arrow, Diamondback Land Surveying, diamondbacklandsurveying.com, Advanced Geodetic Services, agsgps.com, 
Tiger Supplies at tigersupplies.com, and Cianic Automation at getjobbook.com.